Welcome to the Bloody Broads Pod. We're your Bloody Broads. I'm Bhavna Sharma. And I'm Jamie Howard. We are your horror guides from page to screen and everything in between. This week we have Robin on, a guest of the pod. Robin, would you like to introduce yourself? Yes. Hi, guys. Hi. Hey, what's up? Hello. My name is Robin. Um, Robin Duvois. I'm not sure if you guys say last names or not, but I love saying my last name. Um, <laughs> I am here to talk to you guys about Get Out, um, one of my favorite, favorite, favorite movies of possibly all time. Yeah, yeah. possibly all time. Yeah, 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 possibly of all time. I was contemplating a little bit, but then I was like, no, no, no. It's definitely one of my favorites of all time. Yeah. No, this this automatically went into my top 10 when it was announced. So I get it. <laughs> I just remember when it was announced, everyone was like, Jordan Peele doing horror. Like, he's supposed to be funny. And I'm like, funny, oh, yes. Clearly, you guys have not been paying attention to Key and Peele because Key and Peele had some dark shit in it, oh, yeah. uh, which I loved. Um, but yeah, I was super pumped. You wanted to come on and do this. Uh, Robin is our first guest in the Black History Month series that we are doing. And I felt that this was an incredibly appropriate movie to kick it off with because, yep. I mean, if nothing else, this movie kind of changed the game in so many ways and spun off many not copycats because i don't want to discredit other people's work but a lot of things that were inspired by it and of course jordan Mm -hmm. has his own production company monkey paw that is now doing so many amazing things and i cannot wait for it um but yeah i say we jump right in yeah let's go for it robin let's go let's go with the opening (laughs) Alrighty. So first things first, um, I am not, I was not a big horror fan. Let me just put that in, um, put that out there right now. I used to despise horror and this was, um, and it was a big thing of, I always anticipated what was going to happen throughout the movie. And I was just not, um, I was just not in it to win it. Like every single time I saw a horror movie, everybody's like, oh my God, did you see that? It's so scary. It's so gory. And I'm just like, but yeah, it's a horror movie. That's what's supposed to happen. You know, it's supposed to be jumps. It's supposed to be scares. Um, And it wasn't until Jordan Peele came out. And I think a little bit before him, to be quite honest, but it was really Jordan Peele that solidified that horror could be more than just blood it could be more than just you know severed limbs it could be something where it tells a story and this story is so sensational to like what you said jamie it goes on to to having these so-called copycats or this wave of like people who feel as though okay cool now we have a new voice in horror and now it's time to tell a different story in horror and i i was about to curse i, I you can curse we routinely drop that bomb love that oh my god like um i don't know because like i said before like i used to be in like the deep blue sea and the freddy kruegers the uh the, the halloweens and stuff oh like yeah that. and they will have like the token black person c- to kind of just be like you know okay cool we're gonna give you this horror story and then we're gonna bring in one person to kind of like butter up all demographics and kind of give you you know so so everyone can buy a ticket and everybody can see their experience within this movie however it has never been a a thing where uh unless it's like tales of the hood which um save 
Fave. <laughs> it's inside the name. We're going to know we're going to see Black people. You right. Know, it's tales of the hood. No, there's we're the twist. See... You don't see anybody. Yeah. No, right. No, right. Imagine. Imagine Tales of the Hood, but it's like an um, all-white suburb. You know, it's kind of, what hood is this? I don't want to be here. Um, I almost dragged another movie that kind of does that, but I'm going to leave that take for a different episode because it's a little Ooh, spicy. Spicy. Okay, we'll talk about that later. Movie in private. Yeah, yes. tell us why. I need to know this movie in private. All right, but um, back on schedule and back on topic, um, what I was going with that is when they told me that Jordan Peele took a lot of references from other different horror movies, I was kind of just like, okay, but which ones? Because <laughs> Get Out is kind of like blackity, black, black, black. And then, you know, if you're talking about past horror movies, I'm like, okay, cool, show me which ones. And so upon like research and stuff like that, I was seeing that he took um, kind of like inspiration from Stepford Wives and Rosemary's Baby both two movies that I was kind of just like, eh, you know, if I see it, if it's on AMC, I'll give it a watch, but I'm not renting it out. I'm not, you know, I'm not going the extra mile, not going one to three movies to kind of like, you know, see this for free. I, I, it's, it's just not, it's just not in me. Um, so a lot of the, a lot of the references that was being uh, placed throughout the movie that also tied into Stepford Wives as well as Rosemary Baby. So um, it was never a thing where I had to automatically watch these movies in order to understand um, where Peel was trying, the direction that Peel was trying to go within the whole Get Out. It was very much that he tied it all into his his central theme of the entire movie. And even if I didn't see Stepford Wives or Rosemary's Baby or even The Shining, there were, there were, there were very clear points where it was kind of like, okay, cool. This is what the story is about. This is what I'm giving you. And if you want to go back later and watch these two movies, it will be like a very much aha, aha moment. But I'm not pulling your leg to go watch these movies, you know? And I really wanted to touch on kind of what you said, Robin, about you know, not only did Get Out give us a incredibly Black horror movie, Black people were not the butt of a joke for the whole horror movie. I mean, we get Rod, who is amazing, and I love him. But at no point does this feel minstrelly, like other <laughs> M-I-N-S-T-R-E-L. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you know, it... It gave us a gateway, like you said, for people like you who might not otherwise go back and check these references, so to speak. And I always call it doing your homework because um, we were talking about, you know, a couple episodes ago, why people might have been a little disappointed. And I think we named like four different movies. And I'm like, I feel like the reason people didn't like it is because they didn't do their horror homework. And I'm, that's not a gatekeep thing. That's a maybe we should be doing a better job of making it a more welcoming and open space. And so I just think this, this movie is so important for what it did for the industry and specifically the genre itself. And I think that it gets caught up in this cycle of like, you know, was it too heavy handed? Was it enough? You know, is it one thing or the other? There's no, it's damned if you do damned if you don't. So I'm glad that you brought that up. Yeah. And I, I just want to touch upon like that as well as like, just even if you just took out and I hate using this term because it shouldn't be political, but if you took out all the politics from 
the film or like from any of the themes or anything like that and you look at it just straightforward as a genre film like it's such a breath of fresh air because like you were saying before as well like uh, you know having uh, horror movies by that point were tired like you knew exactly what was going to happen you know who was going to do it the only wild card was when you were going to jump and most of that was like musical cues or you know somebody walking in the background or you know something like that to make you have a jump scare um but this was one that finally let you use your brain mm-hmm. and i like yeah. using my brain i like i like getting uh, from a horror movie all i want to do is be scared and be able to use my brain and not guess it within the first 10 minutes and yes. i did not I did not guess it within the first 10 minutes. I did not know we were going to go down this like fucking like, horrible, disgusting road that we went down. <laughs> unlike with Malignant where yeah. we were watching it together and like <laughs> Bobna just unmutes because we, we watched it together in a room on Clubhouse and Bobna like 10 minutes into the movie is like, oh, that's her evil twin. And I was like, God damn it, Bobna. <laughs> Thanks. That is definitely me through horrors. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I think too, you know, I mean, just even from the beginning, when she says, or sorry, when, when he says to her, you know, do your parents know that I'm black? I think, I think there's this tone that gets set kind of from that opening scene. Mm -hmm. And again, I talked about this in the Candyman episode to set the tone for a movie with either the opening credits or just the first scene or two without relying on like a montage or anything like that. And I, I do love a good montage in the movie. It's such a strong, it just shows the strength of the script, the strength of the production in general, and then the strength of, you know, the director of photography and everything. Um, I don't know. It's just, it's so wild to me that people ever discredited this movie. I don't understand. <laughs> Yeah, like yeah. that first. I you no, go ahead, Roman. No, go for it. Go for it. Oh, like that first first scene though with Andre, um, in that like clearly, and I mean, I don't have time to explain the explain it. If you know, you know that clearly white neighborhood. Yeah. Um, like <laughs> it's a white neighborhood. Just just get it through your head. It's a white neighborhood. Anyone that yes. grew up in a city that had like even a slight suburban aspect to it, like the on the edges and stuff, you know, you know that is a. White That's what you think about. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> The yep. opening scene is brought to you by the letter G for gentrification. <laughs> exactly. I mean, if you didn't know from the visualization of it alone, you knew from like Andre, um, like Heath Stanfield's character going like, where the fuck am I? Like, I don't know yeah. where I'm supposed to go, you know, that on the phone. It's too funny um, because like years ago, I was kind of lost in like in an area like that. And yeah. I called my mother and I was like, listen, I, <laughs> you need to like, come get me because I'm not sure where I am, but like, there's no street signs. There's no lights. It's about to get dark and black people in darkness don't go together because you can't see us. Then we get hit by cars. There's killers outside. It's a, it's a whole thing about it. It's a whole it's, thing about it. We're there's just a like, whole thing. It's, it's a thing. I get it. Like I grew up in, um, and I still kind of not in the same part of that neighborhood, but I still, I, I grew up in the East end of Toronto and in Scarborough for anyone that knows your Toronto geography. Um, and I grew up in like the, let's, let's just call it the hood side of things. Like I, like, you mm-hmm. know, the building next to me when I went to go visit my friends, like bullet holes and piss in the elevator, totally regular occurrence. Didn't even like need to, th- you know, we don't have time to unpack all of that. Um, but that was a whole thing. Um, but then if you went 
like when we would go trick or treating or like even to walk to school, we have to walk through like the, the housing residential area, like the back streets to get to school. And like all of those houses were not inhabited by people that look like me or people that look like Robin. Um, Mm -hmm. And like they had the best candy though for Halloween, by the way, Um, they had the best candy. Some of them had full bars. Um, Full bars. That's what we go for. I was just about to make a full bars joke, Bob. <laughs> like the Bob's Burgers. Like we have to take a vote for full bars. <laughs> exactly. Well, Robin, but, so in our Halloween Minnesota epi- uh, episode, we talked about that episode of Bob's Burgers because it's I watched. my favorite. I oh, watched. yeah, yeah, yeah. Duh. Yeah. What am I saying? <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, continue. it was great. It was great. It was so it was great. great. Um, but no, but just to say like if, but I only went through that neighborhood during the day. Never at night. I felt safer cutting through the backs of the buildings and like the parking lots and all of those. I felt much safer cutting through those than I did cutting through that neighborhood. And so when I watched this scene in theaters, like all of like like the childhood, not repressed, but like all those like memories didn't even like think about because, you know, it was instinctual. I'm just like, oh, Mm -hmm. oh, he's in danger. I don't even need the music. I don't need that sinister World War II music. Playing in the back. No, very much what you said before, Molly. You and Danger Girl. Like (laughs) it was, (laughs) it was giving very much that. But I just find it so funny how, like, how our different ethnicities kind of teach us, like, what neighborhoods are considerably safe for us and which kind of pose a danger. And even if you know it's like the, the cleanest neighborhood and there's no necessarily like gunshots, trash, and whatever, it will be more a a a it seems like it will be more safer for a black person or a person of color to be in this um, quote unquote ghettos as opposed to being in a suburban area, you know? And it, it does, it definitely does contribute a lot to history and showing that a lot of black and brown people weren't really um, accepted in these neighborhoods. Um, and, and it just feels it's it's honestly humorous to me that we actually feel safer in a climate where there's like gunshots, there's like piss in the elevator, there's like fights all the time. But then when we go to the suburbs and you don't hear music out, you know, you don't hear people driving through with music in their cars and, and stuff of that nature. You're kind of like, I'm in a strange land. Like, what's going on here? I need to get back to the ghetto. Exactly. Like my, my first year of university, I went to... Um... Like, uh, I went out of town for university. I'm I, born and raised in Toronto. Like, even my high school, even though it wasn't in the same neighborhood, I was still downtown Toronto. I was still in, like, the areas everyone's like, oh, no, it's dangerous. You know, that kind of thing. Like, um, we, uh, my school was actually a couple blocks away from where a lot of the sex workers like to congregate at night. Um, it, sorry for this term. It's probably outdated. But it's like, you know, they would go to the diner, the 24-hour diner and at 3 a.m. We called that the hooker rush. Um it's true. I would go in there at 3 a.m. And like, you know, I got some great um, brunch advice from a lady while I was in the bathroom th- helping my friend throw up. Uh, she did not steer me wrong with that eggs Benedict. Um, anyway, <laughs> aside, aside, aside. So I, in my first year of university, I went to um, a town called Waterloo. And it's about two and a bit hours outside of Toronto, like going up into like the asshole of Ontario. And um I, I've always had white friends. I've always had a decent amount. I've always been like one of the only non-white people in my friend groups and stuff like that. But then that, but it was such a fucking culture shock to go somewhere where the entire town was basically white. 
and like Mennonite and like all this stuff. And I was going like, first it was like the food that hit me. Like, where are all my food options? Why are these things so bland for flavor? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Where's Mm -hmm. the flavor? Why is the only Indian spot called curry in a hurry? (laughs) Oh my Lord. I'm like, if you have a good curry, it's not made in a hurry. Takes at least an, like, you know, takes at least three hours what? if you don't have a pressure cooker. <laughs> what in the make microaggression? Absolutely yeah. not. Curry in a hurry. That is too funny. Curry in a oh, hurry. Curry in a hurry. Um, but it is such a. But just to touch upon your points too, Robin, it's just like you don't even realize, like you know how bad it is until you're taken out of your environment, like kind of like how Andre was taken out of his environment and Chris was taken out of his environment. And it's like, you don't, you think it's bad where you are, where at least you have other people that have had similar experiences to you in any way, shape or form. And then you go somewhere else and it's like, what the fuck is this? Like, yeah. It, yeah. Uh, I guess it's no secret. I guess it's no, uh, no secret as to why I got my first depression spiral. while I was away at school, <laughs> take away everything I know and love and have a touch point for. Well, and I think that that ties in perfectly because you guys are just so frank with how it felt to be, you know, a fish out of water, so to speak. For me, this movie was the perfect allegory for when you do put yourself out there and you're like, all right, I'm going to try to not be judgmental and put myself in this situation. The family continually gaslights him into thinking that it's safe to be in this place. And he's told again and again and again, oh, there's nothing horrible happening here in Mm -hmm. subtextual ways. When we come to find out there's a lot of horrible things happening at their house. I would have voted for Obama for a third term. Right. Oh my God. (laughs) Right. That line, because we all know somebody's well-meaning dad like that. We know some well-meaning people. Horrible. Yeah. We know some well-meaning people our own age like that, but this whole film is like a there's the obvious piece of you know the rest of the world feeding off of black bodies and what they produce Mm -hmm. and what they're capable Mm -hmm. of but on subsequent rewatches and i feel like i've I've had to have seen this movie six or seven times minimum by now but uh not counting times you know you just throw it on but the more i watch it the more it sinks in to me no wonder you know people people have this stereotype of like an angry black person, but it's a pressure cooker buildup. Like you said, Bobna, a pressure cooker building up of like, you don't lash out out of nowhere. I don't care who you are. There's always a buildup to something. Even if you're Kyle punching a hole in his wall, cause he just lost at halo. Like there's an underlying thing there. Yeah. <laughs> and so this is such a good allegory in my, in my opinion, Uh, from an out, obviously, obviously a white perspective of this film of how many times growing up, did I make my black friends feel, you know, like, Oh, just come hang out. Like, it'll be fine. It'll be safe. And thank goodness from a young age that I, you know, my parents were very frank with me about race. And like, I have friends of many races, religions, everything, but you know, even out of ignorance, like how many times growing up did my friends who were POC feel out of place, felt in danger? And how many times do we as a society keep telling black people, yeah, you're totally fine to walk down the street with a can of Skittles, a can of Skittles, my bad, y'all, a can of Arizona tea and a thing of Skittles. I mean, Skittles come in cans in America? 
what? No, no, no. I was about to, no. <laughs> I was about no, to no, say, no. is that a new flavor? <laughs> no, 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 no. I was just, you know, your tea, your can of Arizona iced tea and your Skittles that the cops yeah. made the gun. Like how yeah. many times do we tell young black men like, you know, oh, you're fine. You're fine. Just come into work. Yeah. You don't, you're not going to get made fun of for your hair. You're not going to be in danger of being threatened or whatever. And so Robin's notes for this are incredible, by the way, y'all listening. Um, there, are, there are so many layers to this that I really want us to talk about each point as much as we can, but I really wanted to yeah. hear Robin's thoughts on the deer, because yes. to me, that motive was one of the more important ones throughout the film. Yeah. Because you see it way more than once. Right. Oh my God. It was like a, a constant motif of like, you know, the deer, the doe, um, all that good stuff. And the, 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 the buck and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. let me just say what I'm, what I'm actually thinking. <laughs> so in the beginning, um, as everyone knows, we see how Chris and Rose is like traveling down to her parents' house. And then um, they come across like the deer running in front of them. and essentially them hitting the deer um, and it dying inside the woods. I thought that was first time watching. I thought that was a little bit like a foreshadow about what we're going to get into later. And of course it kind of was in a way um, where Chris kind of went through all of these like traumatic experiences and stuff like that within the house. But the first time watching it, I was thinking, okay, cool. This man's going to die. You know, um, it's not going to be a thing of, um, he's going to come out of this alive. It's not going to be like an happy ending. We're not going to see, you know, the happily ever after we're very much going to witness this black man die. And I didn't feel anger within that only because I knew this is the story that, that, that feels visceral enough to be true. You know, um, this is a story that it's not going to go. Um, it's, it's not going to, it's not going to try to be palatable to, to white people, you know, it's not going to try to um, kind of be like a scapegoat. It's going to give you the the real, the nitty and the gritty. And um, you're going to have to either take that and suck it up or walk out of the movie theater. As I've seen many, many people do. Um, Same. Yeah. I've seen a lot around the auction time is when a lot of white people was kind of just like, all right, well, this okay. is nice. And I'm sorry, probably- was that mirror too shiny for you people? Right? Yeah. I was like, can we talk about this auction scene? Because first of all, how <laughs> fucked up. My brain, I was like, this is some like textbook shit. Like I never been more uncomfortable for a good reason in a horror film. Yeah. Even even yeah. through like gory stuff. The whole scene, I was like, what is going on? It took a whole nother approach to silent auction. It did. And I mean, like anybody, like I can't speak all. Sorry, that took my brain just a second too long. Oh my God. Right? I had to lean. Sorry, you guys. If you heard anything, I had to lean away from my microphone because I was like, no, he didn't. That was perfect. But but, then the thing with that scene, though, that silent auction, um, I, I can't speak to the American educational system and like the other various ones, but at least in the Canadian one, we did learn about those, you know, the, the, the auctions when um, mm-hmm. in the time of slavery and all that stuff. Like, yeah, very watered down. Cause you know, they don't want to, they don't want to hurt the kids. 
um, with the education, but we did learn about them. So um, at least the audience I saw, like I, when I went to go see it, I saw it with, I saw it twice in theaters when it's first go. Um, and then uh, with people, I mean, otherwise I went back, I went by by myself because I'm like, this looks fucking amazing. Take all my money, Jordan Peele. Um, okay. <laughs> but uh, the both times I went, I went with uh, people of color because I'm like, I'm not here to, I knew, I'm like, I'm not here to babysit anybody else's experience. Um, I'm not here to babysit anybody. But during that scene alone, I saw at least on each viewing in different theaters, different areas of town, people leaving. And they were all white. And it's like, oh, oh, was that not like, you know, did you did you think these things didn't happen? Did you think you we were like gonna have a movie about Yep. Mm-hmm. Did you did you did you think you were gonna walk into a movie that was very, you know, overtly about racism and not see something, you know? Racist, right, yeah. Racist. Yeah, yeah. So I found that really, really funny though, because I'm not sure if you guys are like uh I'm, I am a writer as well, and I kind of submit to a lot of agents as well as like different sort of websites and stuff like that. And a lot of the times, um, these agents and stuff like that would be like, "Okay, cool. This is this is this is okay." Like I will write about random stuff. Like say, you know, like my characters are always black, but it will be like you know, black people like going to college. And, um, or black people just like working a job at a restaurant and, you know, just like everybody's tea within the restaurant and stuff like that. And, um, I really had this one agent was like, okay, cool. This is cute. But like, do you feel this? Like, is this actually telling the black experience? And I'm just like, baby, this is about a black person working in a restaurant. Like, (laughs) Wait, where'd you want me to come up with the slaves coming out of the kitchen or like <laughs> stop what? so I'm just asking <laughs> so it's so funny you bring this up because our friend Sheree that we just had on an episode that just came out our the candy man episode, episode. Yeah. she's a writer and mm-hmm. yeah 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 she um she's a writer and she's talked at length but she also talked in that episode about how like she just wants to write like fun black girls at brunch being bougie like she, yeah. she's like where's my sex in the city without the stereotypes you know like let's go to starbs and get a psl like right and so yeah. to me i think it's really funny that people want to rely on tropes when it's convenient for them and for example you know they pick these young black men for rose to date and bring back to the house because they fit some kind of profile like that scene mm-hmm. where he's tied up down in the basement and she's got her headphones in scrolling for NCAA athletes. NCAA athletes. That sent me, that sent me because there is a, and I'm very upfront about this. Like I love sports, love them. If anyone follows me on Twitter, they know I live tweet a lot of football games. I'm not sorry. Um, but there is a joke. There's always not a joke, but like, I mean, it's just a very obvious thing where like a lot of pro black athletes have white wives. And like, I think that that was very obvious commentary in this movie. And, you know, I'm not saying that that's that. I think we all know if we're listening to this podcast, we're not saying that every relationship is abusive or that every relationship is a bad thing, but there is a stereotype there in this situation that I think is backed up by reality. And even, and Robin, you pointed this out too, 
Rose's father keeps taking, keeps bringing up the fact that he doesn't like deer and he literally says bucks, meaning like male deer. Mm -hmm. And I know that Robin pointed out, um, and I, I knew this, but I guess I just, it just made me think of Django Unchained, which like is a complicated movie in of itself, but how, you know, the, the calling black men, things like studs and bucks and referring to them as essentially, you know, livestock terms. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. Yeah. But then they still decorated their whole house with it. So it's like, you know, they don't want the experience of being black, but they want to have the ornaments and ornamentation and decorative stuff that comes the, the uh, aesthetics that come with being black. And yeah, it yeah. just, every time I rewatch this movie, that scene hits me again and again and again, where they keep showing the deer head on the wall. Yeah. The line that took me out though, in that vein, Um, of the dad talking about all that stuff was like it's a privilege to experience other people's culture and I was was trying to remember that's what I was trying to remember and I was like well like your first viewing you don't know what's up you don't know about that freaky deaky junk science going on in the basement but like but but regardless of that you obviously they're not subtle you get that vibe of like okay these are some racist motherfuckers but who's the most racist who's running it is it the entire family are they in on it like this is where my brain goes when you when not just in film but when you meet racist people it's like how far does this go um who who can i deal with who's the reasonable one um and i mean that's just my personal experience with when i meet up with racists which i try to avoid um but but his line of like it's a privilege to experience other people's cultures i'm going like oh this is the one. Oh, he's the one yeah. <laughs> oh he's he's it he's he's yeah. like prime prime bobna, <laughs> racist motherfucker the, right here bobna who's the actor that plays the brother uh caleb landry jones he's such a good actor he's just born to creep. play creeps yeah 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 he was he in the last bad. exorcism yeah, the the Eli Roth produced film about like that preacher that's like I don't do like I don't do real exorcisms they're all fake <laughs> and like it's a documentary. I'm always film. a little sketchy one. about people that are like too good at being racist, like actors when they're just like a little bit too good at being racist or you know, like you know, when they're just <laughs> no right. Um, and also like the whole cast and the help it was just like a little bit too like on the nose for me you know I was like that's very like Oscar nominated sort of like work you're doing here it's or just green like room. It's second nature yeah 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 I was um, like Viggo Mortensen you okay there buddy you want to talk about something it comes second nature and it's just, it just goes off the tongue like verbatim um, but I just find it hilarious that uh, th- that the brother is so easy to play this this insane person like it it's it's no question about it from the first time you see him you're kind of just like okay something's off and i'm not sure if it's because of his like pale skin and you know i really i'm really like very weary about men with pale skin now um <laughs> uh so i was just like something's very creepy about this guy and the fact that he just kept directing the uh the conversation to like his mma fights and uh he said something along the lines of if i had your body um i would like crush it in these tournaments or something of that nature and i'm just like from that the the first viewing i'm kind of just like what you mean like you know kind of just like if you had his body like i'm like the first viewing, i was kind of like okay so are you into him as well as rose or and then 
kind of like more so later when everyone started touching on Chris. I was just like, all right, so is this some sort of like fetishizing, you know, we got going on where everybody's just like sexually attracted to the black person? Um, Does the whole family want to fuck him? What's going yeah, on? The first time right. I saw this movie, I was like, are they having a key party? Like, what's going on? Yeah. Like, why are we why are we copping feels? I mean, don't get me wrong, he is a very attractive man. Right. I'm looking very. respectfully. Go ahead. Yes. I watched I'm for the plot. The plot. But I'm like, why are they grabbing him? And it's it's the same, you know. I I talked to all of my uh friends that are black women who we talk all the time about people touching their hair without asking where they it's to me it's just as bad to think why why do you have to ask the stranger to touch our hair why do you want to touch a stranger's hair um right COVID doesn't exist what's that uh and it's (laughs) it's this idea of like you're special like right they're telling him that he's picked out of the group that he's all I can think of is when people tell athletes you're so well-spoken and I'm just like, bitch. Did you expect like, him to be dumb? Yes. Everybody, everybody expects, I mean, on top of the stereotype of a football player being kind of a dumb jock or whatever, like, you know, there's this narrative of we've plucked this black boy out of, you know, his poor existence and allowed him to be the face of a team. It's, it's a very prevalent in American football, but I don't want to get too, too mm-hmm. far. Listen, I'm road. taking you down a hockey side road for a minute. So hockey, super white sport. It's what I'm into. I'm Canadian. I can't help it. You want to watch sports. You want to be into it. You got to assimilate. My mom and my mom and family came over in the sixties. You know, hockey's a thing. Toronto's a hockey town, a hockey town, whatever. Yes. Don't have time mm-hmm. to unpack all that either. However, the way growing up is a very, um, racially critical, gender critical kind of, you know, person in high school and stuff like, and I will attribute that to being, to living in the city and whatnot, watching how the media talks about the handful of black players in the league was disgusting. Even like, you know, they would think of them as enforcers or goons or the people that were just in there to beat other people up for people that don't do hockey. Um, but then you started getting your super skilled players like uh, PK Subban. What up? Toronto's I love him. Um, I love him. Love PK Subban. Um, he also falls into that athletes with white girl with white girlfriends thing. He dated Lindsay Vaughn for a very long time. Um, who is so white. Um, anyway, so he played in Montreal for a long time and they basically chased him out of town and they really couldn't come. They weren't really subtle with the reasons that they were coming up with to chase him out of town because he is a superstar athlete. Like he's got talent that like most of these white boys don't have in their pinky finger on the ice. And I'm like, that was about the time I kind of dropped out of paying attention to the league. Cause I'm like, you can't even get this guy who's setting records and goal scoring and all this stuff. And what, just because he's unapologetically black, you can't be on board with that. Yeah. Like. And I think, anyway. <laughs> no, you're good. And I, I just, I think it, I mean, it's just so prevalent and I know that, you know, not people that listen to us that we know of, but, I know a lot of times, anytime you bring up things like this in more than one episode in a row, people are quick to be like, oh, this is just what this show is now, but it's just reality. And I think people have the same reaction to this movie. Like, oh, why did it have to be so heavy handed? I think it had to be, Um, you know, not to gloss over too, too much of the plot, but we get the iconic scene where people made it the get out challenge of like him running the um, older male 
character running oh, yeah, the and running and then and like cutting the grandfather yeah. yeah what was his i'm blanking on i forgot name. her name is uh, georgina walter, I think. Walter, walter and then yeah. georgina's Gina. the uh the woman yeah, and she's there's the iconic, and I use that gif all the time of her saying no, 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 <laughs> no, 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 no. With her brain short circuits. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I I didn't catch that twist. Like, I didn't predict that twist at all the first time I saw this movie of the grandparents being in the bodies. I was like, huh, like what? It like I just wasn't picking up on it. I thought they were just being brainwashed because of what the mom does to Chris yeah. with um, that creepy tea glass and tapping the you know oh. her silver spoon which i love that you brought this up robin if you want to talk about the silver can't spoon walk, and the tea can't wait to talk about tea <laughs> go for it go nuts can't spill, wait it. To spill the tea spill it <laughs> um no but like when i first saw the whole tea maybe more than first saw because it had to be like my third time i was kind of just like okay so i see how the tea is kind of like the teacup is the whole instrument for the hypnosis and stuff of that nature. But I've started like digging a little bit more deeper into it. And the point that stuck to me was the silver spoon. And I couldn't get over this silver spoon. And primarily it's because of the whole um, saying and the whole quote unquote motto that a lot of, uh, a lot of white people are only successful because of their generational wealth. And that ties heavily into the whole silver spoon thing, because a lot of the times white people are born with a silver spoon in their mouth. You know, they don't really have to do the hard work. They don't really have to, quote unquote, get it out of the mud the way black people do. Um, so I just thought that was really, really interesting that the instruments that she was using to hypnotize this black person was instruments of her own privilege. And it wasn't just the silver spoon, but it was very much the fine china that she was, you know, uh, touching the spoon with. I was just like, it's very much dancing on this line of very much white people take things from every, from every culture and kind of just kind of try to cultivate it as their own and use those devices in order to, whether it's subtly or whether it's, um, you know, unconsciously, I don't know. And quite frankly, I don't give a rat's ass, but they still do take these devices and by all means use it against the people that they were, you know, that created it, uh, you know, i.e. Uh, the White House. <laughs> Slaves made the White House and we didn't get a Black president until 40 44? Barack was 44. 44. But listen, Robin, Bradley Whitford's character would have voted for him for a third term if he could. (laughs) (laughs) But even that's hilarious in it, and it's right too, because just saying you would have voted for a a Black president, um, you know, for a third time means absolutely nothing. You know, as we know, it's really Congress that makes all the rules. It's really Congress that, you know, pulls all the strings and stuff of that nature. So as long as the majority of that Congress is white, I don't give a shit who you're voting for. You know, I really don't care who's the puppet, you know, behind, you know, I, I don't care. I don't care. So just saying the whole, I would have voted for Obama the third time, in my mind, if I was Chris, I would have been like, all right, girl, your daughter told me you was going to say this. <laughs> You know, very much, Jamie, peace. You know, um, let me get the rental. I'm out. You know, um, 
And I think a lot of this contributes to the fact that I did have one white boyfriend. Sorry for everyone listening, because I'm probably (laughs) going to put my friends onto this. But I did have one white boyfriend. And it only took one time for him to kind of say something, you know, like outlandish for me to be like, okay, cool. Lacing up my boots, calling my Uber. I'm not going home. You know, um, Mm -hmm. it, it, it really just only takes one time. And I found it humorous that Chris kept entertaining it over and over and over again. Um, I kind of wanted him to walk out, but then I was at the same time like, okay, so where's the other 120 minutes going to come in? You know, (laughs) if he walks out right now, we don't have a movie. So just sit your ass right there, Chris, and just take the views. If I were him, I would have bounced after that first talk he had with uh, Walter. Uh, oh yeah he it it was pretty it was pretty like early on like you know i was like okay i can deal with the the, mold uh no the part where he goes outside and he was like this is after the running incident this is after that night it's after he gets hypnotized okay he goes out and he's Mm -hmm. talking to him and he's talking about rose and he's thinking and you know he's thinking like oh does he want to fuck her but like you know Mm -hmm. obviously we now know he's the grandfather and He's being like, oh, isn't, right. she, isn't she special? Isn't she great? Like, mm-hmm. after that, I would have been like, okay, I can deal with the voting for a third time because I, I think I put in my notes, we all know people like that family. Like, not to obviously to that scientific degree, but like, you know, all the versions, <laughs> like, they're all the versions of like the, we're trying not to be racist, but we're actually really fucking racist. Like, that's yeah. what that family is. And there are different degrees of it. Um and there's the I don't give a fuck with the the brother who's just like, you know, like, I'm not racist, but, you know, I'm going to talk about your body. And yeah. <laughs> how I covet it. Um, you know, then you have Rose who does the overcompensating. I think I wrote this as well. It's like she oversells the part. Like, we all yeah. know a Rose. We all know somebody that's maybe just being awoken to their white guilt or they're just being like their eyes are just opening. And so they're overcompensating. Performative. Or, it's yeah yes it's very performative like the what the fuck like you know like well what's their problem what's all this stuff and it's like as someone that's been on the other side of that like obviously not rose but on the other i'm like the chris side of things it's like yeah okay like it doesn't matter like like you're like i i appreciate that you feel a certain way but you getting mad about it isn't gonna help me that's why i'm not getting mad or getting whatever about it like that's not gonna help so like that you could see that in chris's eyes clearly but i would have bounced after that talk he had with um with him i would have been like y'all are fucking weird Uh like like to to quote rod like what is this fucking sex slaves like what are you that line (laughs) sent me into orbit the way he delivered it i was like oh my god because it's not just sex slave it's sex slaves yeah he says he says it with his whole chest not just sex slaves sex slaves i uh (laughs) so we get the hypnosis and then we get the sunken place for the first time where we learn about what really happens to his mom uh cried real tears the first time i saw this movie uh you know it's a running joke at this point robin on the show that if there's childhood or familial trauma we're going to talk about it at length and i think (laughs) so much of horror kind of like what you were saying earlier like you were talking about how a lot of it there's all these patterns and tropes and things like that and it's funny because to me bavna and i kind of laughed off mic because that's why we like horrors that it, it can be a little predictable without punching down quite as much as some comedies do 
<laughs> it's not a perfect genre by any means, but it's we're drawn to it for that reason. And the level of just psychological, I think, exposure that happens in this movie is just as important as the physical trespassing that happens. So he gets mentally used as much as he's physically used. And the sunken place fucked me up the first time I saw it. I was like, what is this? What is happening? Mm-hmm. I, not that I didn't get it, but it was, I, it's his subconscious and it's so beautifully shot and edited and, and illustrated with that, yes. you know, because it's, it's a combination of like real things being shot and then a little bit of animation, I think just a touch. And just so, a little bit, yeah. Yeah. And it's that blending of realities that I think is perfect for being hypnotized and it's being put to sleep to your own reality of being stuck. And then that shot of him being stuck in the chair and being tied down and helpless. I mean, my God, just. Yeah. Like oh. for anyone that's had, uh, had issues with disassociation or like, you know, disassociation while having an anxiety attack or a panic attack, that imagery was just perfect for that mm-hmm. feeling like that's the feeling where it's like you're and the like physically and mentally it's like yeah you see physically he's like looking at you he's like there but like you know then you get the look inside and it's like he's miles away yeah. and it's like he can I see everything but yeah he can, he really can't do anything he's literally just paralyzed and i think she even says that um what was her name missy i think yeah. she even yeah. says it uh katherine keener i think she like literally says like he, he says, why can't I move? And she says, you're paralyzed. And I thought that was like very, very interesting because a lot of the times when we, uh, Black people, when we go inside spaces that are just like predominantly white, we start to cold switch. And we start to like start using words and start using vernacular that's comfortable to the space that we're in at that moment. And I thought that was really, really funny because in that, in, in that second, you can see him floating back and not being conscious of what was going on. And a lot of the times that's me inside white spaces, you know, a lot predominantly white spaces. Let me say that because I do have white friends and we're, it's not always uncomfortable, but putting a black person in a predominantly white space, like an office or even like a school, you know, um, it gets a little unsettling sometimes. And sometimes you even step back and like, look at, what's going on around you and you're like am I supposed to be here you know like where am I right now and I felt a lot of that when I seen Chris like falling um he was very confused he did not know what was going on it was his first experience within the sunken place so it was kind of just like you can even see it because the second time um the first time he was kind of just falling back it was nothing going on. He was just falling back. His face was horrified. However, within the second time he goes inside the sunken place and she traps him within the sunken place, he's now grasping towards the light. You know, he's grasping towards the 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 the, the box. Um, and in a way, that's that's a lot of black people. You know, that's a lot. That's a lot of it, which ties to our story, is that we're always trying to cling towards the person that we are before we got into this space you know in in order to hurry up and claim ourselves and get the hell out of this space and i think that's um that's not something that's widely expressed within on screen however if you're very much black or if you're every person of color you automatically understand that like this is some scary shit you know this is 
I'm not sure how that happened. Um, this is some. I scary thought you were shit. just thumbs upping your own comment. No, like, yeah. yeah. I was like, What's going? <laughs> sorry guys for those for the people listening zoom has those little things where you can like put an emoji in agreement and i thought robin was thumbs upping us and i was like yeah he's, he's like on a roll i was so scared for a second i was like who's behind me <laughs> you look like that that video of cardi where she's like what is that but yes that was very much my reaction yeah but the the gosh you said so much just there. I'm sorry. I, no, 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 <laughs> no, 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 it's no, no, amazing. No, in a good way. Yeah. We're both, yeah. Bob and I are just like silently nodding our heads. Like it's, <laughs> yeah. I wanted this episode to be a love letter to this movie. And I think so far so good, you know, the cotton in the chair, he picks the cotton out of the chair. That's not subtle. No, but it immediately reminded me of, um, a couple of, gosh, this had to be over a year ago now. It was like right when I first got on TikTok, I started following a lot of like historians because I love history. I like following anything kind of off the beaten path. And I kind of like macabre history. So like, yeah. yeah, like you guys know, like I know I love, I love the history of like why we have embalming in America. <laughs> um, but anyways, this was a couple of months ago now. But a, a historian um, was restoring an antique furniture chair. And chair. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Robin already knows the guy I'm talking about. He's a black man. He's mm-hmm. a black historian. And as he's cutting open the bottom to reupholster it, um, he pulled out a clump of human hair. He, and Bavna's face is like horrified. I'm not that's surprised, the, but. Oh. Right. It's not a surprise. It's a disgust because I wish that's the kind of stuff we had in uh, museums. Mm-hmm. Outside of the National African American Museum in DC, which is the by far the best Smithsonian period. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. That I've been twice and it like m- tears me to pieces every time in a good way. But, but this, oh, it's so good. That moment where you're like, he's literally going to have to dismantle the system that he is in to get himself out into safety. And you pointed out something, Robin, with the cotton that he does. And I was like, yeah. oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, uh, I thought that was really interesting because um, more so, well, well, wait, one, I want to touch on um, the furniture and how the, the stuffing of the furniture were the hairs of Black slaves. So now if, you, if, you t- if anyone looks at a regular chair, and sees how much stuffing requires, you know, for the chair, you can only imagine how many slaves' hair they cut off in order to, to, to replenish a whole entire, you know, like, love seat. Um, I'm not sure. It was just like a regular chair. He just showed the handle, so I don't really know how, how big it was, but I think it was just like a regular sitting chair. But even still, that, that had to take a good, yeah, that had to take a good, like, 10 slaves, 12 slaves, if that. And I don't want to, like stereotype too much but black people don't have this long luxurious hair where it's like you know you can just cut it off and all of a sudden two weeks later it's growing again no you know it's a it's a lot that gets these follicles working you know so in order to cut off a black person's hair and just leave them especially a woman and just leave her stripped bare it, it says a lot, you know, it's, it's, it's gross. It, it's disgusting. Um, but you just have to think about American history in general, George, uh, I think it was George Washington. He didn't, his teeth wasn't made out of wood. He took teeth from slaves and put it inside his mouth. 
And literally everyone thinks that this man was wearing teeth full of wood, but it was actually slave, the slave's teeth. And it's crazy because a lot of this stuff is not brought into, into American history. And a lot of it is just like bypassed. And a lot of people don't actually know. And so with the, the fact that Chris took the cotton out of the, the chair and put it within his ears. And for me, it was kind of this way of dismantling everything we know about Black people picking cotton and stuff of that nature. And instead, using that own device to kind of, I want to say beat the oppressors, but very much damn near just kill the motherfuckers. You know, it's not no, it's not a thing of, and I love the fact that when he kills the dad, um, the dad stumbles and a candle falls on the floor. And now the whole entire house is kind of like burning up and stuff like that. That was a lot of, that was a, a lovely ode to slavery back in the days as well, because a lot of the times when slaves really did, they was not with the shits and they did their riots, they would burn down the master's home. And even if they were still on the boat and got the, and got the means to do so, they will burn the boat down and just kill everybody, you know? And so I thought that was a lovely ode to, if you have, if you have the will and you have, and you have the means to do so, burn the entire shit down. Yep. <laughs> burn the entire shit down. Absolutely. And that kind of ties, ties back into Jamie's point earlier, where it's like, people don't do that. They don't lash out. They don't, you know, burn the motherfucker down mm-hmm. <laughs> out of nowhere. Yeah. Everything adds up. And yeah. oh boy, did he have a lot of shit to add up. Yeah. And, you know, and because it's Jordan Peele and Monkey Paw Productions, we don't just get like that scene of him being tied to the chair and being forced to watch this really cheesy infomercial style video. Uh, we don't just get it in a, I'm going to hit you over the head with this way, which, you know, some people need that. We also get it in a very artistic way. And we get another reference to a horror film with uh, the TV being unplugged. And Bob and I Mm -hmm. talked at length in part one of our Shining episode. I was like, come on now. The TV is unplugged. How is it playing this? Like, Right, right. Come on. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. we're like, what the? Robin, didn't Uh you say the flight was like flight 237 that said over the loudspeakers? Yeah, Yeah, when um, he was having a conversation with Rod. Um, you can hear like over the intercom, it was like flight 237, um, now departing or something of that nature. And in my mind, it automatically, uh, mind you, I didn't really, I was a fan of The Shining, but I wasn't like, oh, let's get into The Shining. You know, I did not know Dr. Sleep whatsoever until I, I listened to your podcast. And I was like, oh my God, this shit actually happened. And I had to like go <laughs> watch it again. <laughs> I literally had to go watch it again. And I was like, Oh my look, that's literally when I created the post was like, nah, y'all gotta get into these broads because they're talking about shit that I didn't even think about, you know. Yeah, and mind you, I'm a whole like, film major. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, yeah, I'm a home film major. So I thought I would probably like know everything you guys were talking about during that first podcast. And then I was just like, Whoa, okay, let me go watch it again. Um, let me just see um, you know, if everything that was accurate and you guys literally blew me blew me away so oh. when 237 <laughs> came on um get out i was like is that another like shining reference and then i had to research it and it was literally like yeah the, the shining is like peel's favorite movie and i was like i get that because like i was saying before in the beginning there was kind of like a baby blue 
the baby blue um, uh, lettering that says get out the title. And also for, for The Shining, the title was baby blue just as much as well. And I was kind of like, that's really, that's really, really dope that he did that, you know, that and, he did that little homage. And another thing is like his shot about that scene, it's another kind of like pseudo shining reference is like the shot where it's coming in and you see how symmetrical the room is. And like, just that, that shot is very much like a Kubrick shining shot. Like, you know, when, yeah. um, like the one where uh, Jack's um, uh, typewriter scene in the hall, like where it just kind of swoops in, that was very much like that scene of like, okay, here's All your work, entire no room, which was Jack a dull boy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which was eerily, um, it, it was eerily symmetrical too, except for the buck on the wall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was the only thing that wasn't symmetrical because its head was like turned a little bit, but everything else was like, you can chop that shit right down the middle. And I guess that ties into the poster as well. Cause it's like, it's that the poster is a uh, Chris in the armchair with uh, half black, half white um, behind him. But um man. Peel really knows how to work in those references. Like I'm telling yeah, you, I just, I'm just in awe of him. I really am, and thank God that we did get a little bit of comedic relief in this. Like I said, I'm glad that he wasn't like the butt of the joke. I love that Rod winds up being yeah. the savior. Um, yeah, and I don't want to gloss over what happens right before that. Um, but when he, <laughs> when Chris does get out of the basement and he starts busting heads. And killing the family one by one. Uh, Bless. He's just, in my mind, I'm like, knuck if you buck is just paying in the background. Um, <laughs> for, me, it was, for me, it was mama said, knock you out. Oh, okay. I can get that. I can get that. Bob not always has the 90s references and I love it. Uh, I'm from the South, uh, Robin. So to me, I'm just like, you know, we knocking and bucking. But it's so funny to me because I love that he uses, obviously, the deer to start his first kill he gets out of the house he gets the car keys uh which i don't know about y'all but when i saw this in the theater people were like clapping and cheering during this part and i i loved it i saw it on opening night and i'm so glad i did um but when he finally gets the car and then he uh is like trying to escape doesn't he hit georgina does he hit georgina yeah he hits her. Okay. It's Georgina. Mm-hmm. And that in, in that moment, I was kind of like, if he would have continued on, you're good. You know, you can get out of here. You know, you'll be, of course, Rod was coming to save you though. So if you didn't really know that part, of course, you're just putting Rod into danger's way. However, the movie was cutting off anyway, so I really don't care. I mean, I do care about Rod. I do. I do. Let me not yes. say that. I do care about Rod. We love Rod in like this one we love him. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Dr. Seuss. Um, no, but definitely. Yes. We love Rod. Um, but I just feel like if he would have moved on, um, after hitting Georgina, he probably would have been okay, you know? Um, but the whole fact of that, his, he had flashbacks, I'm assuming flashbacks of his mother getting hit by her hit and run and stuff like that. He was kind of like, okay, no, I have to go save her. Mind you, he already knows that, you know, they're now transporting these white people inside black bodies. And still there's this feeling like, okay, cool. But I still have to save her, you know? Um, Mm. And I thought that was very clever because a lot of the times um, black people will kind of ignore a lot of signs in order to just help, help you know someone someone in our um i guess in our community 
or like someone that we can, you know, kind of relate to. And they will like yeah. ignore all the signs in order to do so. And even in this, this case where he's very much in imminent danger and his life is on the end, he goes yeah. back for this black woman that reminds him of his mother. I thought that was very, I thought that was very masterfully done. And I thought that was beautiful that he'll even put that inside because up until that point, I was like, okay, I don't, I, I wasn't even thinking about Georgina. You know, I was, yeah. she wasn't even on my mind anymore. It was very much kill Rose, kill the brother, kill the mother, you know, kill everybody, you know, everybody kill these bitches, go. get the fuck yeah. out. <laughs> everybody Shut gotta down. go and make your grand escape. Yes. No, very much so. Very much so. Um, and then all of a sudden Georgina comes in and in the movies, you can hear, I, I know people got tired of me because I, bitch, go on. How yes. you go, just go drive. And because me, I already know it's the grandma. I'm like, yeah. drive, that bitch gone, go. And then all of a sudden he goes back for it. And I'm just like, oh, the groans. Know? Yep. Yeah. I, I think that's such a good insight into what you were saying, but also like what a good person Chris was. And also the debt that I feel like a lot of black men feel like they owe their mothers and their grandmothers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it just speaks to like the idea that if one of the people in the family, quote unquote, make it out, they have to bring everybody else up with them. And that's a heavy burden. Yeah. 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 Um, I, I definitely agree with that. I'm, I'm all the way hashtag save black women, um, protect black women, all that good stuff. So I definitely feel what I definitely understand why Chris went back to go get her. Um, me per se, just me per se. Um, <laughs> I watch a little bit too much horror. So I kind of, after I hit it the first time, I kind of would have just been like, all right, she's going, you know, let me just continue on call rod from the car you know what yeah. i gotta do i would have thought she steal was that gone, steal that I'm bitch's phone glad. no but okay she unplugged mine she unplugged well mine hers. i'm gonna take hers let's get <laughs> we're we're trying to be final girls here y'all we're we're, we're not okay. okay i'm trying to be the first black final girl because <laughs> it seems like they're hard to come by nowadays and so they i are. thought chris yeah, I thought Chris would have been um, in Stella as the final girl. But yep. I thought that moment, if there would just been a clear shot of him driving down the um, down the road and just like mm-hmm. smiling now that he, he comes to realization, like, I just killed all of these white people. You know, I was inside yeah. a totally new environment. I just killed all of these white people trying to kill me and I got away. I just needed that clear shot of him smiling while going while going down. Because that's how I was inside the movie theater. I was like, yes, my man got out. He he made it. He's not dead. I was so, I was so happy. But then in the back of my head, I'm kind of like, okay, so where Lakeith at? <laughs> you know, right? right? Like, where'd he go? Where where's that? Or did you get his business card before he left? Like, who you was that? Lady that Georgina, but you didn't go back for Lakeith. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm I like. was thinking. I was like, so we're just gonna leave him? Okay. Yes. <laughs> But, but I, and Walter of, too. That, yeah, but, listen, but I think I don't think he was like. Obviously, he wasn't thinking clearly. What am I saying? Of course, yeah. he wasn't thinking clearly. But that was my first thought. I was like, "Where's Lakeith?" And that's not just because I am very much like enamored with Lakeith Stanfield. Who doesn't but, love <laughs> I love me a good Stanfield. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. Again, respectfully, yes. I just. <laughs> It's so funny to me that we're all like, oh, we'd be the final girl. But what were you going to say, Bhavna? Oh, no. I was just saying, speaking of Lakeith um, and all of that stuff, I want to talk about the the major theme that we haven't really touched on yet, which is the goddamn fucking cops. Oh. 
<laughs> for every single time they have an interaction with them in this movie. I'm just I like, know. here and we go. For anyone that's listening, if you haven't figured out that we're ACAB, <laughs> like, come on, guys. Um, you have you haven't listened to us before then. Um, but first of all, when he they get he gets asked for his ID when he wasn't even fucking driving. Like, okay, yeah. take out the masterful, like, okay, we know why she blocked him off, and that was all that performative, like, you know. Like, I'm just trying to protect you because I can. I'm using my privilege when really we know it's just because she's like, fuck, if we get caught, if they know who he is, they're going to come looking for him. Um, right. He won't just be another st- statistic. Um, I'm counting on him being a, a statistic. But just the way the cop was like, and and the cop wasn't even being menacing at that point, which I think Peel did like work that in perfectly, was that half the time it's not like, show me your ID. It's yeah, show me your ID. But the effect is the same on the person being asked. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like um if you're if you're from a community that's targeted like the black community like you know people of color like you know god forbid you're a teenager and a person of color like you're going to get you're going to get you know targeted and it's not it's it's anyway it doesn't matter if they're asking in a polite quote unquote polite calm tone or if they're asking in a very menacing tone at the end of the day the thoughts are still going to run through your head like fuck Am I going to get a record? Is this going to go on record? What are they taking me for? Does it fucking matter what they're taking me in for? You know, and especially now when in the last couple of years where not not saying things have ramped up, but I'm saying things are more publicized. Mm-hmm. That's the argument I have with anyone that I bring this up with. And they're like, oh, it's happening more now. I'm like, no, people are just recording it. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, it's this just is big like, happening. Yeah. Um, yeah, when the cop asked for his ID, I think that was so beautifully done. Mm-hmm. Um, not because of how aggressive or less aggressive he was, um, but more so because it it says something when a movie maker is able to, um, you know, spike that fear within like the first twenty minutes of you know because the first the first um first half or not even the first half, the first like quarter of the movie, you're starting to get like all of these signs that you don't really know what's going on. However, all of the signs are there to tell you the story that you're about to be engrossed in, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's hilarious that as soon as they get on the road, Chris is asked for his ID by a cop. Now, if you're a Black, you already know like, oh shit, like this is, you know, this is the moment where it's about to go down and stuff like that. And in that moment, Rose kind of like sticks up for him and stuff like that. And she's kind of like, you know, well, why do you need his ID? I was the one driving. And in that moment, in that very exact moment, you're rooting for her. You know, you're like, Rose, yes, bitch, like stick up for your man. You know, you like BBC, all that good stuff. Stand by it. You know, stand by it. Yeah, you know, that's my man and I'm gonna stick beside him. Right? Go for it, Rose. I'm hollered. Um, and then as soon as it gets to like where they're at the house and you can start seeing these like passive aggressions from like everyone that they encounter and Rose is the only one like, you know, she's like a little yeah. chihuahua trying to um, defend her, her master or whatever. And it's yeah. very, it goes, it goes, it, it, it's, it's kind of like comforting in the beginning half. And then um, towards the middle, it's kind of like, all right, so what's her angle? Yeah. And then a little bit more down, you're kind of like, oh no, I've seen this white bitch before. I know mm-hmm. exactly what she's up to. I know what she's doing. You know, yep. you, you you automatically start to see that. And I think it's hilarious. I put it inside the notes, but I didn't really like make a comment on it. 
Rose. Her name is Rose. And I thought of automatically when I heard her name, Rose Among Thorns. You know, mm-hmm. she's the only mm-hmm. one that's kind of just like sweet. She's like, you know, don't treat my Black friend this way. And while everybody else is making pa- noticeable pass- passive aggressions, you know, on his skin color, what it is about, you know, what, what is your intake on the Black dick size at one point. Child. Yeah. <laughs> That threw me Child. off. I was like, oh, I didn't know we were going to go there. Is it better? Yeah. Is it, like, mm-hmm. is it true what they say? Yeah. What? Like. What? But but to Rose for a second, even in that moment with the cop where you're rooting for her, you also, and and Robin, you can tell me if you know I'm off base here, but the, the feelings that I got were um, from Chris's perspective was like he was ready to pull out his id right you know because yeah. in that situation you're always told like i was always also told to just comply mm-hmm. to like path yeah. of least resistance all that kind of stuff not that i've had to deal with the cops much i avoid them as much as possible um but you know in any kind of like that kind of situation doesn't have to be cops any kind of authority figure you just kind of go along especially if you didn't do anything wrong like you know eventually the truth will out eventually something will kick in like if you just comply they're not they're not going to have any reason to be aggressive towards you whether that's yelling at you to killing you yeah you know but from what i got in that situation was as soon as she started going i started panicking Mm -hmm. because i was going from Mm -hmm. his perspective like you're fucking making it worse you're making Mm -hmm. it worse he doesn't have a reason to come for my ass until you started going like yeah they're not gonna go after you you think they're gonna give a shit about you like you know who the fuck Mm -hmm. are you they're gonna come after me now because i he asked me for id i didn't comply and i'm resisting because you're resisting on my behalf right so that was like the panic i got like that was why that scene kind of terrified not terrified me but like you know that put me on edge when i was watching it because i was just like you're making it worse you're making it worse you're making it worse and i think that makes Go oh, go ahead, Bev. Go ahead. I, I was done. I was just like, ah. <laughs> our our brain cells getting ping ponged back and forth. Um, I think that the interactions they do have with the police throughout the film make the ending that much stronger. And thank God they went with this ending and not the original ending. I do understand. Yes. I do understand why that original ending was written. So I'm sure everyone knows this already. But just to recap, the original ending had Chris getting shot by the police, a la the ending of Night of the Living Dead, which again, very strong nod to Romero, very strong ending for a film. I've said it before, to me, horror is the inevitable. Like there's a terrible thing that's going to happen. We can't do anything about it. You know, we'll meet it when it comes kind of thing. Yeah. But when Rod showed up instead of the police officers, you want to talk about an entire theater of people clapping, clapping, yes, hollering, yes. yes. everything. It was like Endgame. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> it was like the end of Endgame. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. No, it was it was fucking great. And like the fact that he just came through and he did it, like this kind of um, give me a second to rein my thoughts in. But this kind of comes back to your point, Robin, that you made about earlier in the scene where it's like Chris was doing anything he could to help someone from his community didn't have to know who he, who they were or anything like that but that is kind of like what we get represented in Rod because mm-hmm. Rod went to the police and like that whole scene yes it was if you're looking at it from a surface level it's funny but if you're looking at it from a critical lens it's terrifyingly accurate yes. like mm-hmm. like uh like first of all you think like you know you um 
this is how I get when I, when, you know, um, for me, it struck from like an Indian perspective or like the way when Indian people meet other Indian people or people of Indian descent, it's an automatic, like you relax. So I could tell why Rod kind of just relaxed in front of the, the black police officer, like, you know, to be like, okay, one of us on the same page, don't have to explain all this generational trauma and um, all these cues and all that kind of stuff. So then you could right. tell like immediately when, when he was just like, yo, like, um, uh, I forgot what he said, but uh, he said, he just, "Oh, and she's what, and she's a white girl." And then that's no. when the the police officer is like, "Was that part?" That part, but but before that, where he called, what did he say to Chris? Did he say like, "Oh my, um, my boy's missing"? That's what he said. He goes, "My boy's missing." My boy's missing. And then yeah, and then she's, she's like, like your "Oh, son. your son is missing," and he's like, yeah, oh, fuck, yeah. "No, no, 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 no. He's twenty six. Like, he's not my son. <laughs> <laughs> he's an adult." Yeah. And then you can, you could see him going into panic mode now because he doesn't know how to interact. He had a whole like script in his head and he doesn't know how to interact with this cop. And he's just like, no, 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 I'm dog sitting. This is the dog. Like, you know, and then he starts like verbal diarrhea, like blah, 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 sex slaves, like, you know, Mm -hmm. and then she brings in her other cops. I thought it was a great detail from Jordan Peele was to have the cops be not white. Mm -hmm. Um, There was like a brown and and a black cop that came in as well. Like, you know, and we know, like, you know, at first you're led to believe that, oh, they're taking it seriously. Like, okay, you know, yeah. they're taking this missing person's complaint seriously, blah, blah, blah. And then when they start burst out laughing and stuff like that, and I'm like, I'm pretty sure I could recall like four or five different things like this about, yeah. you know, through my friends' various experiences and, you know, what I read in the news and et cetera, et cetera. Like it was, yeah. uh, it, it, it was a, it was a, yes, it was great comic relief, Come on, I'm sure I'm sure all of us have stories like that where like someone wasn't taken seriously by not just the cops, but like, you know, authority figures and all that. And that I thought it drove home a really important point that like, uh, first of all, like you don't have to be just because you're the same from the same community doesn't necessarily mean that they've got your back. Right. So like, whereas like Chris kind of um, exemplified the person that should be like, you know, that what we want to be in our community those cops were definitely like the uh what ends up being half of half of who you encounter anyway for the people that just go like "Mm -mm." like i'm not gonna take this seriously like you know fine if you look at the case from its merits he was only missing for like a day you know he went to his girlfriend's place like if you're looking at from like just a black black and white um (laughs) 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 these terms man these terms um (laughs) Great cookie, bad term. <laughs> yeah. I love those cookies. I love those I cookies too. And Shake Shack makes a black and white shake. Oh, so it's good. So good. So good. But um, back to my own point where I think I just went off the rails on that one. But, um, you know, like it was just, a, it was it was one of those if you know, you know moments, which is 90% of this movie. But, you know, on surface level, you're going to get entertainment out of it. But on a deeper level, you're like, fuck, man. Yeah. Like, is that what's uh, going to happen if I go was... missing? <laughs> That was a truly scary moment for me in the movie theaters, um, to be quite honest. And I think Mm -hmm. around that time, my sister was still in high school. And it made me think about a time where she was like coming back from like a game, a basketball game or something of that nature. And her phone died. And she was gone. She was like supposed to be home at like nine o'clock p.m. And it was like 1130. And I'm now like, where's where the hell is this girl? You know, like I'm going <laughs> off the rails. I'm, I'm now like frantic and stuff like that. And I called the cops and they were kind of just like, you know, well, how long has she been gone? And did she run away? And this down the third. And it was like, also, it was 
it was kind of like victim blaming in a way where it was kind of just like, you know, maybe this is just her, you know, acting out and stuff like that. And I'm like, pause. You don't know who my sister is. She's not acting out. I need you to do your job. The one that the, the taxpayers pay you for, mm-hmm. that's what I need you to do. And find my, find my black little girl, you know? Um, so when I saw that scene, I thought that was really, really funny and very indicative of the society we live in right now, because those cases are not taken seriously. And we can even see that within 2021, how there's a slew of black girls going missing, you know, every single day, but then there's one little white girl goes missing and boom, they found her like nothing, you know? And, um, it's, it's social media was over it you know yep. like everybody everyone was on it and they found this girl within less than a month which is crazy because a pharmacy right around the corner from my house has a whole wall of of, of black and brown and even hispanic females that went missing within the last three years and none of them found yet i was honestly so floored at that part because i'm just like it could happen to me. It could happen to my. It could happen to anyone. And the fact that he said, "No, he's not a little boy. He's twenty six years old." And all of a sudden, she kind of like, she kind of had a she sigh did. of relief. You know, yeah. she was like, "Okay, I don't have to do the paperwork. I don't really have to take this seriously. I can now just sit back and and let bygones be bygones." You know. Yeah, but to tie into that, like I worked. I don't know if I talked about it on the pod before. I'm pretty sure I have. If I have, then you're gonna listen to it again, people. Um, but I worked in the, um, what's this called the village in, in Toronto. It's the, um, well, or the gay village, even though I don't like using that term because it's a very diverse village. <laughs> um, I worked, I worked there for a long time at a wine store, like the wine store. So you could, t- we were like a multi-million dollar store just to give you an idea of the traffic. I remember you telling me this. Yeah. Yeah. And I worked there while, um, we're getting true crime here, people, while Bruce MacArthur was on his spree. For those of you that don't know who Bruce MacArthur is, he is a serial killer, uh, a white serial killer, a self-hating gay man um, who targeted uh, brown um, uh, people on the low uh, in the village. And uh, he, uh, whatchamacallit, so he he would target them and we at our store, because a lot of them were our patrons, because we were right by all the clubs, everybody would come in, you know, for a little pre-drink, you know, grab their... Kansas side or whatnot, blah, blah, blah. I remember having a few interactions with the cops there and, um, and you know, we would have their posters up in the window. We would have all that stuff, but just those few interactions I'd have with the cops, that scene kind of reminded me of just like, you know, they were, they didn't fucking care. They were just like, have you seen this person? You know, do they come in? When was the last time? Blah, blah, blah. Here's a poster. Like that was basically it. And so watching this scene, I'm like, yeah. How many people have this experience? Yeah. Like, you know, you go and you try and reach out for help and this is what happens. But uh, God damn it, Jordan Peele. I know. And I think that that's yeah, just such a sure. good mm-hmm. summation of like this film in general is how many people have had an experience like this where they felt like they tried to assimilate or they tried to force themselves to be comfortable in a situation and it wound up taking something from them. Uh, and I think that that's, Yes, it's told from a black perspective, but I think that's a universal thing people can relate to is when you don't trust your gut and we don't trust that intuition. Um, wow. Robin, thank you so much for just being such a good, thoughtful guest. And like, I am floored by 
the notes you wrote for this episode. Um, no problem. We, <laughs> I know they were quite extensive. <laughs> no, please. No, that's amazing. See, yeah. If you see mine and Bobna's notes normally on Google Docs, they're like literally four pages. I'm like, all right, we got to reel it in a little bit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> since you're a guest, I would like for you to start us off with your final closing thoughts. Yeah, I, I think I've pretty much made it clear. I very much love Jordan Peele. I love everything he does. Um, Candyman, Lovecraft Country, uh, Nope. Uh, coming in I'm here so 2022. In, I'm so, so excited for, for nope. nope. I don't I even care what it's about. <laughs> Same. I was just like, let me. I saw a cloud. I was like, Jordan Peele, let me go. Uh, <laughs> and Kiki Palmer, baby, that's Kiki Palmer. I gotta go see that. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. So I love everything Jordan Peele, but also just I love everything like black and black, black, black. You know, I love everything about black people. I love everything putting us in not only in a damaging light like Tyler Perry does profusely, um, but just like illuminating, you know, how much success we have, how much, you know, how much light there is within our life. You know, it doesn't always have to be depression. It doesn't always have to be, you know, this black trauma. And even if it is this black trauma, it needs to be in the space where it's required, i.e. horror. Um, you know, not like family drama, like Tyler Perry, again. Yeah, so I love every, I love everything, but I love horror in general, you know, but very much black horror speaks to me because it's not a lot of it, you know, so every chance I have to speak on it, I have to bring it to someone's attention and let them know, like, yes, this is very much horror, but this is what it's saying, you know, this is what it's saying beyond it. Avna, closing thoughts? Oh, my God. Um, uh, just insert love letter here. Like, they're... <laughs> normally I'll have like you know four or five critical things to say about things that I even love but like I, I I've watched this movie at least 10 12 15 times and over the years and uh like it's one of those movies I just throw on you know I'm like I can't think of anything to watch I need something to watch and then like in an odd way it is a bit of a comforting thing to watch um yeah. and then I just throw it on like I don't have to pay attention to it I know exactly what happens like you know blah 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 but um this was very much a breath of fresh air in like as a horror fan, as a film fan, as a pop culture addict, this is, this was very much a breath of fresh air. And I can't wait to see this done for other cultures as well. I love this man. I will watch anything he does from now until eternity. Um, oh, what was I going to say? Like, I am, I'm just like, ah, I'm like all over the place with this thing. Cause it's just so fucking good. Uh, I think it should be required viewing for yes. a lot of people like not to get a little like mean or whatever about it but maybe some people need to be tied up on that chair instead of watching the coagula video whatever the fuck a coagula is and watch this movie instead like, <laughs> <laughs> for some people have this be like mandatory like racist rehab viewing yeah like, no yeah i, I think this can be a scholarly sort of like research yeah definitely. yeah exactly like just the next racist person that comes at me saying a bunch of bullshit i'll just be like sliding across the table just a dvd just like here you go watch get out watch yes. this <laughs> watch get out and if you feel uncomfortable if you don't feel uncomfortable then you are the wrong type of person my friend yeah. um but yeah long story short if i if none of you have watched this video what are you doing with your lives or the video while well, movie what are you doing with your lives watch it um 
please watch it. Please watch anything Jordan Peele does. He puts a lot of care and work into his stuff. And just like I've said many times before on this pod, he also reminds me of Edgar Wright in that this movie is made for multiple viewings because you're not going to get um, all of the references in one go. You're not going to get all the references in four or five or six different goes. You're going to take, you're going to get something new and he's made a movie that can last a long time and will stand the test of time. There's nothing in this I could see aging poorly to take you're going to get something new and he's made a movie that can last a long time and will stand the test of time there's nothing in this i could see aging poorly so i love it please watch it it's best (laughs) jamie um i mean yeah like you guys have kind of said it already um you know now jordan peele is getting his flowers but when this movie came out he very much was not at the with the wider community within the subgenre of horror that this is yes absolutely so it makes me very happy that now he's able to make all this amazing television with the uh newest version of twilight zone and all these new films he has coming out even the stuff that he produces not directs and writes himself i'm super excited for the future agreed that this movie is required viewing not just for horror fans but film fans in general um yeah, I just can't wait to see what he does next. This is one of my favorites. And yeah, uh, yeah. so Robin, where can the people find oh, you? Where would you? Sorry, one more closing thought. I just remembered this and I think it is, it's worth mentioning. And I know I've mentioned this to Jamie offline, but um, one of my friends, Emma, friend of the pod, shout out Emma, told me one day and I forgot what we were talking about, but she just said, I could totally see Taylor Swift get out somebody and I lost my entire fucking shit. Just keep that in mind. Hey, Bob is trying to get the Swifties after us. You know, those girls like to tussle. So I'm not saying shit right now. (laughs) But come on, come on. Think about it, guys. Think about it. We're going to wake up after we release this episode and have like 1,400 comments with snake emojis in our, in our, or red scarves in our. Listen, if any of you people that are listening that are my friends know my opinions on this. So, (laughs) (laughs) but. Anyways, I'm not. Anyway, I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, Robin, Robin, where would you like the people to find you? Twitter, Um, Facebook, Instagram. Yeah, both actually. Not not on Facebook. Off of that now. It's too many. Yeah, no. Sorry. Awesome. You can find me on um, Instagram. My uh, name is Cleopatra. It's uh, C L E O P A T R O O. Sorry, I had to think about it for a second. <laughs> I've had this screen name so long, it's ridiculous. Um, and you can find me on Twitter as Robin Bohr. It's R-O-B-I-N-V-O-I-R. Um, you guys can find me on either of those. I think I'm going to start a book club next year, so look yes. out for that. I'm in. We love to yes. Look out for that. It's definitely going to be a virtual, a virtual sort Perfect. of like thing. And I think I might do it like February-ish. First book's going to be Lovecraft Country, of course. Yes. So tune in. Well, thank you so much for uh, coming in tonight. Uh, We, as always, are the Bloody Broads. You can find us at Bloody Broads Pod on all social media. And until next time, bye. 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 Bye.